didn't see it coming. The podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. You know, I wrote a book a little while ago called Didn't See It Coming, and in that book, I devoted an entire chapter to the role that technology will play in building future-proof brands. Now, a key part of understanding the role technology will play is understanding the psychology of us and how we relate to technology. So I'm always thinking about how people are changing and, in turn, being changed by technology. I want to bring aboard my old friend and conspirator and collaborator in crime, John Marshall Roberts. John is a behavioral psychologist, and we got to talking a little while ago about the way that people deal with technology and how we're going to deal with technology in the future. I want to dig into that with John today and also offer up some tips for folks who are just feeling inundated by technology and let them know what to do to get it back. John, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, Mark. Awesome. Always a pleasure. Now, you and I talked about this story before, but I brought it up and I, I want to bring it up again. Uh, I was riding public transit from the airport a short while ago, and there was a a girl, I think she was probably 18, 22 years old, sitting across from me. And because we didn't have anything to do, I was just watching her interact with her smartphone. Now, she took out her phone a lot, did something with it, and then put it back. And then I thought, geez, this feels like she's doing it awful regular. So I actually started to count 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000 every time she put the phone away. And what I discovered, much to my surprise, was that from the time she put the phone away to the time that she pulled it out again was 11 seconds. It was like clockwork. She put the phone away, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 11, 1,000, she'd pull it out, do something, put it away. I could count to 11. I I thought, oh my God, what's going on here? But then... I reflected this kind of reflects what all of us do. So what is this all about, John? <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Groundhog's Day? Yeah, it is. It's exactly Groundhog Day. <laughs> I think that our world is now moving quickly towards this, uh, uh, this future. But it's actually, it's, it's really interesting from a psychological point of view. Basically, if we, the way I see it, is that there's just been this unprecedented rise in available information and an increase in uncertainty. You know, in the last, I mean, listen, 10 years ago, we didn't have smartphones, really, right? And now we can't live without them. You know, it's amazing how quickly we, can, we can't learn to live without something we didn't have moments before, right? Why, though, have, have you know, are, do we get into these uh, repetitive sort of enslavement to our digital devices? I think it's to try to reduce uh, the information, to deal with information complexity. You know, uh, we get into these habitual behaviors. It's a lot like um, obsessive compulsive disorder and some other, you know, stuff that goes on. To a smaller degree, I think a lot of us really uh, have this towards our devices. And it's really to try to make sense of a world that's increasingly confusing and and sometimes overwhelming. Um, But much like those old sci-fi movies, we become enslaved to the the computers. But instead of, you know, being locked up like a battery, uh, you know, against our will, we're actually enslaving ourselves, you know, at our own hands. Um, And I think, you know, it ends up becoming very repetitive. 
um, habitual and ultimately limiting uh, to our ability to really connect with others. And there's a lot of uh, big downsides to this obsession. Now, I, I, I look at this and I go, you know, this is a bit like a, a fruit fly experiment. When we were in high school, we would always experiment on fruit flies in biology class because they're born, they live, they die inside of a day. So we can actually change. We can watch them evolve if we tweak this or that. We can watch them evolve in the course of a few days. It's, it's very interesting. Now, uh, smartphones are a bit like a fruit fly experiment because 10 years ago they didn't exist. So we can watch change happen in real time. Now, that brings me to what on earth did we do before smartphones? Because I'm old enough to remember that life wasn't actually that bad before smartphones. And, and I look at this and I go, how did we become so uh, enslaved to this? How did we become so uh, habitually uh, dependent on our smartphones when 10 years ago, we seemed to get by just fine without them? Yeah, it- it's a great question, and I really, you know, there's, we lack a sophisticated language to deal with the inner game, the psychology, you know, of, of consumers and, and, and people uh, in today's world, especially, you know, given the unprecedented changes that we're going through. And it's all happening so fast that it's, uh, it's like people are just trying to, to stay, you know, to keep up. Um, I believe uh, there's a really helpful phrase that I've invented. I, a, a few years back in 2012, um, I just discovered an equation that I call the voice code, um, looking at developmental psychology research that I'd written about and, and been using for years. And that helped us, the voice code helped us map the inner game, if you will, that's causing a lot of this. And what we discovered is that there's basically two unconscious minds. You know, we all uh, know at this point, most of us, that the unconscious mind ex- uh, exerts tremendous influence over our decisions. Some people say up to 99% of our choices, 95%, right? It's a big, it's a big amount. What wasn't confirmed for me until the voice code was that how that unconscious mind works. It turns out that we have a what I call a primal unconscious, which contains our old memories and beliefs and a lot of old tapes that I believe are driving us to uh, sort of latch onto these devices. And then we have what I call our creative unconscious, which is kind of like the angel that stands on your shoulder. That's where what I call your voice uh, lives. Now, I think the reason that people are getting addicted to these devices is because we're as part of a larger shift, we're all being challenged to basically undergo a mental operating systems upgrade for Mother Nature, right, where we learn how to listen differently to our inner worlds. But part of that process is that we become overwhelmed, and we become what I call frame-locked, a bit of this term frame-locked, for this condition where we become locked in a limited frame of reference based in old beliefs, based in the past. Um, and in our inner game, it's based on what I call shadow voices, those voices that come from what I call our primal unconscious. Now, what I think is really happening here is that, you know, we're in the, in the grips of an awesome change where we're being liberated to think differently, right, to um, really follow our inner guidance and create the life we want. But right now we're in this awkward adolescent phase where we're still emerging from this old outside-in mindset where we used to, you know, listen to what was going on in the world to get our guidance for what to do in our day-to-day lives. So we're in this awkward uh, sort of rebirth, if you will, and we're, try- we're trying to learn how to follow what I call our voice, but there's never really been a good language or a clear set of tools to help us do that. So I think what's happening is people are getting caught 
up in their devices as sort of a way to manage this shift. And for a lot of people, I think that's going to lead to a position where, say, their relationships break down, where they're not happy, you know, where they feel disconnected, which ultimately just moves them to choose again and to start following a different inner guide. Now, that's interesting. You use the adolescent uh, sort of metaphor, uh, which assumes to me that, you know, we're going to grow up and we're going to, again, be masters of the technology as opposed to the technology mastering us. However, you throw into the mix that this isn't just an upgrade. There's constant upgrades. Now, you know, this girl that I saw on transit, she's checking her phone every 11 seconds. Is technology going to let us master it? Or is it going to now make itself more advanced? So she starts checking it every five seconds and then every one second. And God only knows where from there. Technology isn't sleeping either. Is it giving us a chance to move out of adolescence into a more mature frame of mind? I believe it is. I think that everyone has their own story, their own narrative, and I think that we all sort of learn at at different rates. But I believe that ultimately, I mean, if you you think about what's happening, is like with all this information, we're being forced to make decisions more and more frequently, right? And certain decisions work and make us happy. Certain decisions don't, right? They enslave Mm -hmm. us. Um, People can, and I think that what is happening is, you know, over time we come to recognize, you know, that that this type of repetitive, obsessive behavior isn't uh, making us happy. And ultimately then we learn to listen differently to our own inner environment to choose that instinctual knowing that I call our voice. But um, I think the first step is realizing that we've become completely enslaved by those other voices, you know, the old devil on the shoulder, right. which I call the shadow tapes, right? And we have to learn to distinguish between those two inner guides, and I believe this is part of the process. One of the interesting things, though, is just the cyclical nature of it. Like you talked about her, you know, like every 11 seconds you could count it. You know, this is um, what we've found is that there are these, that the inner game is run by a cycle, we call it the create cycle, but there's, a, there's basically a predictable cyclical process within our inner world that gives rise to, to um, you know, these thoughts in our heads. And it's really fascinating just the, um, the rhythms of it. You know, our, our inner game and our outer game, you know, the world around us, they're running on these syncopated rhythms that are extremely intertwined and well orchestrated in a way that really blows your mind when you start to see that. Now, I can't get into all that, but just, just understand, I guarantee you, if you were to count, you know, every, you know, take a sample of 20 people in your life and, and count the frequency with which they check their digital devices, even if it's maybe once an hour, you're going to find very much consistency in that because that uh, inner voice that says, okay, it's time to check the phone or whatever, is being amplified up at a consistent rate as part of basically like a program that's giving the person a sense of security. Like if they don't check it at that hour, they start to feel a little bit insecure and then they mm-hmm. have to check it. I hear trying you. to find security in a, in a world that feels completely unpredictable and we're using these devices to satisfy that need. It doesn't ultimately work, but it's kind of a band-aid as we move towards this new way of thinking. Uh, moving towards the new way of thinking. You and I talked about this before and I like the way you're thinking about this. You used an example before of the matrix and you said, you know, we are going to move from a place where we're owned by the machine. You even mentioned it in this talk where you said, you know, we're just plugged into the battery or we're the battery powering the machine to owning the machine. And I thought this was a great metaphor. The whole idea of us becoming Neo in this, in this chaos of technology and digital information that we rise above and gain this sort of Zen-like tranquility. And, uh, you know, do you see that actually happening? 
Definitely. Um, definitely. And I get, you know, to be honest, it's, it's kind of what's happened for me finally, you know, as I've, after I discovered the voice code. Um, and it seems to happen. We have a 12-stage uh, developmental path that we've outlined here. Um, and, and basically it seems to happen as, as we shift from what I call stage Eight, which we call the Pathfinder, to stage nine, which we call the Visionary. Um, it's the, what's happening. I understand that you know we don't want to get too much into the weeds on this, but basically, you know, there's we've discovered that there's there's um, different planes uh, of, of of thinking that people are navigating in this world, and uh, the really big shift that's happening right now is a lot of people are moving to this new plane that I call the plane of vision. Basically, this is where you start to follow that inner guide we call your voice all the time. Now that shift is extremely troublesome, especially if you don't have a map, because what happens is it's almost like uh, ego death. You know, it's like entry-level enlightenment. What happens is things speed up. Your thoughts get faster and faster, challenges speed up in your external world, until it's kind of like if you think of a bicycle tire, right? Think of taking a tire and spinning it real fast. If you spin it fast enough, it's suddenly solid. Mm-hmm. Right, that's mm-hmm. kind of how our thoughts get. They get so going so fast. They approach what you know some physicists have called the singularity point, right, where change becomes the only constant. And then it's kind of like we pass subjectively through some invisible wall into a deeper, more peaceful layer of ourselves. Um, but before we pass through that, we stay stuck on the horns of countless dilemmas, and our thoughts can seem scary and overwhelming. This is uh, a common experience if you go to, like, circles of enlightenment, people, you know, talking about their experience, you know, as they call it, awakening. Um, as I see it, it's really part of a natural process, and the crazy thing, or I think interesting thing, and kind of crazy thing, about today is that as a species, we're being called to all kind of move towards that level of thinking together. In other words, those people who were considered enlightened or whatever, they really were just a little bit ahead of the curve. We're all kind of moving there today, um, slowly but surely. But um, what's crazy is like about in two, what is it, 2009 when I first put my book out, there was about maybe 3%, 2 to 3% of the public who seemed, you know, based on our data, who was thinking from that holistic visionary mindset. I believe that with, you know, around now we're moving quickly towards uh, between 5 and 10%. And it's going to go like, you know, by the time, you know, my kid's grown up, I think it's going to be probably around 20 to 25 percent of the public thinking that way. And I think these technologies are one of the really uh, big catalysts for that. Um, and it's never a really fun transition, but let me say it's, it's really worth it because peace lives on the other side of all that chaos. Now, that's, that's, that's very encouraging, but that, that leads me to the point. So do we all have to go through this increasingly frantic, crazed sort of, uh, you know, clicking on every five seconds before we eventually either break down and end up in the asylum or break through and become Neo? Do we have to all go through that frantic thing, or is there any way that we can shortcut this and go, you know, I don't want to actually go crazy with my cell phone before I figure out how to become Neo? Is there any way to shortcut? It's a great. Well, that's and that's what world you know. That's what I'm. Uh, my new book uh, coming up, the Voice Code, and all of our stuff is about. But I'm not. You know, you don't have to. You know, here's the simple answer. You um, doesn't have to. There's a hard way and an easy way, and there is a much easier way. It just it requires that we take ownership over our our, our you know uh, the process of mastering how we listen to our inner guidance when we make decisions. I've got a three-step process people might find helpful. Um, you know, like if you find yourself impulsively or compulsively uh, wanting to check your cell phone or, or anything where you get frame-locked by that, that mm-hmm. mindset, 
you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed out, you just find that there's these guilty pleasures even, like having to eat at certain times, right, in order to deal with it. There's a real simple process that, that, that we have, which is basically, you know, I call it, I call it um, detach, discriminate, and assimilate. Detach is really to take, some, take a few breaths. There's a process I call box breathing, which I borrowed uh, from some other systems. But basically, if you can take uh, six deep uh, inhale for six counts, Mm -hmm. hold that breath for six counts, exhale for six counts, hold it out for six counts. If you can do that six times, you're going to get your heart and your mind sort of working in tandem. You're going to start to uh, have your heart entrain your brain. Because when we get in this sort of anxious uh, frame of mind, our brain is trying to entrain our heart, and that's not possible. So what we want to do first is breathe. That allows us to detach so that we can get more perspective. Uh, the second step would be to discriminate. Listen, listen to the inner guidance, right, that is telling you to get the phone and go, um, you know, who is that? I like to have people ask a question. Pretend, you know, that it's someone else who's intruded on your peace of mind. Anytime that you feel uh, a lack of peace, that you're not feeling totally happy, you can rest assured that you started to listen to that little devil, right, the old shadow voices, the looping shadow tapes, instead of your true voice, because your true voice is always peaceful, joyful, and present. Mm -hmm. So you breathe and relax, then you can discriminate, go, who is that? And I have clients a lot of times give that character a name, you know, so... um, you might call the, if you know, if you're obsessing with your phone, you might call her Neurotic Nancy. She's always got to check that email, right? Right. <laughs> it's through. Frantic Freddy, yeah. So personifying those inner shadow voices diffuses them, and you start to laugh, right? And you realize that you're in control. The um, third step is what I call assimilate. And that really is you can remove those voices forever and reclaim your power from them. Now, we have a whole suite of tools that we do that uh, with. But basically, the simple path, the simplest way to neutralize the charge is to tune into the energy of that inner voice resistance without adding more resistance. So, like, say you're afraid of something, right? Invite that up. Feel it. Tune it in like, like if you were tuning a guitar string. Tune into the energy of it without resisting it. What that does is that bring, you know that basically neutralizes the, the charge of it, and it basically kind of castrates it, so it can't affect you. What, the, what's happening when we get into these neurotic mindsets is that our mind is split, and we're basically resisting our own resistance, and we're getting run by a thought pattern or a program in our unconscious that ultimately we're the programmer of. So we, uh, by detaching breathing, discriminating, and then tuning into that energy, we remove it. And I'm telling you, this might sound simple, but it works like a charm. If you start doing that, there's really none of these, like, little voices that are going to get the best of you, and you don't have to go through that, you know, going your head up against the wall in order to find peace. You can find it now by just being a little more disciplined in the management of your inner game. Wow. And it sounds to me, I mean, the biggest thing to me is uh, I, I, I hate picking up the phone all the time, checking for emails, because, I mean, we all think something big is going to happen. There's going to be a new job, but or, you know, somebody likes you or God only knows what, but it never is. And so it just becomes habit. It's like grabbing, I guess, a cigarette, you know, uh, when you get nervous. And then at the same time, when we pick up the phone, we hate ourselves for doing it because we go, there I go again, you know, just a slave to the technology. But the way you describe it, you can take a look at your compulsion. You can detach yourself from it. And then you can start to become at peace with those crazy voices that hate you for becoming so attached to the technology. So you're not beating yourself up and you get a sort of state of peace. That sounds like a nice place to be. 
It it is, and 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 I'm 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 happy to be in this era where you know the the day to day living is challenging us to basically become happier. I guess you might say more spiritual or connected. Uh, people, you know, I think that uh, it's always darkest for the dawn. You know, a simple way to kind of look at the inner game process, the inner game cycle um, it, that we've distilled is basically that there's four callings. You know, first is to own your mind, and that means to um, commit to really honoring the right inner guidance. Right? Um, I mean, and again, the idea of this new era is that we don't have to worry as much about what's going on in the outside world. Right, it's almost like we're we're the author of our reality, and what we really need to learn to do is get our hands on the steering wheel of our inner world, and then we'll align, you know, uh, with the right creative trajectory, the right people and resources to bring our highest future into being. I know that's a big idea, but how do we do that? Is the question right in a world where we have been taught that we have to control the outside world so we can be happy inside? Right, it's a complete reversal of the traditional model that we're going here. So if anyone gets stressed, it's like, I understand. And here's my simple sort of recipe for that. Um, step one is commit to owning your mind by making sure that you follow the right inner guide. Step two is to learn to think with heart, which means to start to let our heart guide our questioning and to really embrace our, the questions instead of looking for the answers, right? right? What question would light you up and lead you to the next step as opposed to looking for the solutions and thinking that your, your smartphone's going to have have that. It's not the answer, it's the question. So own your mind, think with heart. Then when the dark stuff comes up, right, face the dark, right? You're in a position then to own the frame instead of reacting. And that's where this process I just gave you around assimilating could be helpful. And then the fourth step, and this is all, believe it or not, derived from an equation, is see the light, right? When we face the dark, right, then the, the clouds sort of disperse and we feel that sense of peace, that lightness. And that turns us into somebody who just knows, right? We follow our knowing, and we become a leader in this new uh, quantum world that we're living into. But if we so own the, you know, own your mind, think with heart, face the dark, see the light. It's pretty simple. The trick is learning to apply it when, um, whenever we're stressed out or frame locked, as I like to say. So I hope that these steps are at least, you know, helpful in pointing us in the right direction. As I see it, half the problem is framing the problem correctly. And a lot of people are still trying to find inner peace through changing the external world. That's not going to work. <laughs> we are, you know, I think only something of this type with an inside-out approach is really going to get us um, free of enslavement to these sci-fi machines that we seem to have invented. Well, I feel one step closer to Neo, and you're to blame. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take the red pill. John, right. <laughs> now, I want to I find out more about you. I want to dig into this. I want to become a ninja. I want to become Neo. Where do I go? Um, just go to, go to worldviewthinking.com. Get on that mailing list. Um, we've now set our official launch date for this book, which has been quite an ordeal. Um, but it's June 1st. And we're ramping up for that, and we've got a weekly email that we do called the uh, you know the Monday Mindgasm that uh, people are enjoying. So if you like big thoughts like this and you want some real sci-fi stuff that's practical, go ahead and jump on that list, and we can stay in touch that way. Thank you, thank you so much. All right, thank you, Mark. It's always fun. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I.